everybody we are back with a new episode of working it out i am so excited for this one this is so long in the waiting uh jack Andonoff we have today uh jack wrote of course the theme music for this show the interstitial music that runs through the podcast uh he also played the curtain call song in the broadway show which became a netflix special called the new one the song that is like, there will be a Jesus in your womb. You might know that one. But that's not what Jack Antonoff is most known for. Uh, he's a five-time Grammy Award-winning musician, uh, frontman for his own band, Bleachers, which has new music out today, which you should check out. It's amazing. He was in the band Fun, as well as Steel Train. He has collaborated and co-written songs with Taylor Swift, Bruce Springsteen, Lana Del Rey, and on and on and on. We are old friends. Uh, we, we met maybe 16, 17 years ago. Uh, we meet up for lunch every week in our neighborhood and go to a little diner. So this conversation is sort of a, a, a visit to the diner, sort of a peek into those conversations. And uh, I try out a lot of material. Uh, a, l- a little bit of a warning. A lot of the material is about death. Uh, there's some dark uh, stuff, uh, stuff about suicidal thoughts, stuff that if that's not what you want to hear about today, maybe it's not the episode for you. Uh, that said, one of my favorite episodes we've ever done, hands down, maybe maybe my favorite. Many hard laughs, many insights from one of the people whom I admire most. I hope you enjoy my conversation. Jack Antonoff. I was trying to think of one of the things we should talk about, and, and I have a ton of stuff for us to talk about, but I wanted to think of one, of one of the things for us to talk about, and it was like, if I were going to say, if I were going to give you like a, a compliment about your comedic stylings, um, and I were going to be over the top, I would say, you're as funny as any comedian. You're as good a joke teller as any comedian. But actually, that would be like over the top, right? Mm. But I'll actually pull it back to something that's a more realistic compliment, which is that when you and I talk, your level of um, uh, intense, focused listening and your sense for yes-anding and collaboration is at such a high level that comedically you can build on essentially any joke anyone is making. And I would guess that's true. And I'm, and I'm sure, of course, it's from collaborating with so many musicians over the years. But I, I, and it's true in comedy. And I would guess it's true in almost all fields of art that you're able to do that. I appreciate that, Mike. First of all, <laughs> do you know um, what I mean? Though, do no, you I get really that? Know what you mean, and I appreciate okay. the separation because separate point, but connected. The relationship between musicians and comedians is a strange one. So you never want to be the musician who secretly thinks they could have been a comedian. And yes. I won't, you know what I mean? Because that's a that's a dark energy. But um, collabor- that's a dark energy. <laughs> but, but collaboration and uh, I think it's it, improv. You know, like when you talk to me about your improv days. And the like, I did like ask Cat once, and like just like little things I've gotten to do outside of just our conversations that I would call it, <laughs> that I will call improv. Our bits, our bits that we do at lunch. Yes, I would say is the closest I feel. You know, it's like that Venn diagram. You know how you have artists and painters and musicians and comedians and directors and writers and all these different art forms, 
And then there's some spot where we all meet up. Yes. That's where I feel is like this common ground. It's uh, it, the, the improv that comes along with it all of just like a friend of mine calls it uh, daring to suck. Like, you know. <laughs> yes. Yes. We're, we're working on music. Dare to suck. Dare to suck. Dare to suck. I actually think, I, I think Max Martin may have coined that phrase. I'm not sure, but it, it's become big in like the songwriting community, like dare to suck. And uh, that's the space where I, I meet you is like this kind of improv space. Yes. Yeah, I love that. Uh, I, actually, when Abby Jacobson was on this podcast, she quoted her professor uh, from college, Jerry Saltz, who, who had a phrase that was similar, which is uh, uh, to, f- uh, to fail flamboyantly. Yes. Well, I, I, there's, there's a hard distinction, which I think takes a really long time to understand. And I think film and TV has really fucked this up for us because of the image of an artist that they portray, which isn't true. Sucking in the process is different than sucking. The work, yeah, you, the work sure. you make and the work you put out into the world should be something that you believe is y- your brilliance and filling a void and the utmost importance, right? But the the path to that isn't a, a isn't a <laughs> biopic. It's not. It's not a movie. It's no, not, it's not like a string <laughs> of, of of like beautiful <laughs> events. And um, that's the daring to suck thing. And I think like all my uh, all my favorite creative people are really in touch with that and 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 it's important to put yourself in a community where people are volleying that back and forth where the separation between the work and the way you get to the work. So you can guess and I can guess, but I would say if I were to guess why we why we're friends 16 years later is related to the daring to suck failing flamboyantly concept that we're unpacking. Definitely. I think that's actually what we have in common. Because there's many moments that, when, that when we've been terrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I think I think that's what we end up because uh, we hang out way more than most people hang out, um, just like in I, life. Yeah. Um, well, you're probably the only person I have like a sort of like a almost like an adolescent relationship with, where it's like, all right, see you, like talk tomorrow, see you soon. Yeah, yeah. But we always devolve when we talk into the same thing, uh, which is uh, this daring to suck, trying to figure out how to make the work, um, trying to not go crazy while making it, and then commiserating about uh, making sure that we don't lose the people in our lives in the process. Yeah, that's a huge part of it, yeah. I mean, I think like the thing that we've had in common all these years and and I think what's held us together as friends is that we end up, uh, we're both people who spend a lot of time on the road touring. Um, and I, if I were to say why I'm on the road, I don't know if it's the same reason you're on the road, but I like being out there and meeting the people who are connecting with the thing I'm creating to understand what their relationship is with the work and how it relates to my relationship to the work. And then yeah. I also, the experiences of being out there are what feed into the work. That's sort of in a nutshell how I feel about I, I'm, it. I feel the same way. It's like the difference between work that's in conversation or work that's just making a statement. I've always felt uh, like the what I'm doing is best in a conversation. So when I'm out there and I'm, you know, you, you kind of almost literally are having a conversation sometimes, but it's like, and I'm, 
part of that and I'm seeing how it's moving. I can write better and I can move better. And it's just it, the road and, and being an artist, uh, the pandemic has really reminded me how separate they are. You know, there's so yeah, many people I know absolutely. that are just like, yeah, fuck touring. Yeah, fuck it. This is great. You know, like I can just stay home and I've make been my work. Astonished. I've been astonished by how many people I've heard say that. It, they're, truly, they're truly separate skills. And it's why we see so many people who love the road and don't even like making work. You know, a lot of not great artists just love being on the road and kind of cling to that, but don't really care to make the work. And then other people who love making work and hate the road and a very rare cross-section, I think we're both, who like really, really love both. I really, really adore both. And it's been hard in this time to lose the other side of it. Here's my, um, I have two things. One is, jo- these are j- my joke questions. Joke questions. These are joke questions. Joke questions? <laughs> They're joke. Joke questions. Joe? Joke. The, the, uh, the first question I have here is, uh, what's your fucking deal? It's, it's sort of hard for me to, to, to figure out still. Um, as much as I'm working on my records and stuff, I'm also working on figuring out uh, what the deal is. I think it yeah. might be more clear to you than me. That but is also, so, like, I love that you think that that's simple, completely wrong. I don't know. I'm not sure what my deal is because I feel so um, <laughs> angry sometimes. <laughs> but then okay. I, same, but then I, same. Then I also sure. feel so um, like uh, you know, peace and love with 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 existence. Sometimes I don't know. I'm, I don't know what my deal is. I don't know if All figuring right. out your deal is a positive thing. Oh, well, that's a that's a good curveball. I, I would say that. I would say figuring out how to deal is more important than figuring out your deal. Because yeah. figuring out your deal is a little bit of like a, like a cabaret act, isn't it? Sort of like a party trick. Like I'm I, this well, is like, my it, deal. Like I'm the guy. Right, who's it's this. like what? Yeah, what's your two? What's the two dimensional version of you? When yeah. I first when I first was touring, I spent a lot of time in your home state of New Jersey because there's there there. There's tons of comedy clubs in there. There used to be even more. We love to laugh, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they would see so my name. <laughs> they would see my name on the marquee, and they would, and it would be Berbiglia, and they th- I, they thought I was an Italian act, and which would be a per. And so they would be like, like people. I remember one time this guy came up to me after the show. It was at Rascals Comedy Club in Ocean Township, New Jersey, mm. and he goes, "I liked it, but I thought there was going to be more Italian stuff." <laughs> Is that when you pivoted to sort of some of your <laughs> early Italian work, the Olive Garden Italian That's where joke? Olive Garden Italian came yeah. from. It actually did come from that. Because one thing I've seen you do well, this is an interesting segue to this, is you'll take something people dislike about you, turn it into a joke that's making fun of them, but in a way you're also inviting them to the table. Oh, that's really interesting. But I think this is important, that, that having a deal might not be the thing. That's you've a uh, hundred points for that answer. Question number two: You've worked with Bruce Springsteen and Taylor Swift. Who's better at music? Uh, I, I mean, what's their deal to begin with, right? <laughs> like, um, <laughs> who's better at music? You know, I I think uh, you, you want me to give you like an annoyingly sincere answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Of course. Okay. <laughs> Obnoxious sincerity. Dare to suck. Uh, you reach a point when you're just so close to making the work that you're supposed to be making yeah. that you entirely drift out of the arena of competition. 
Yeah. Right? And we see this with all great artists where, you know, this I like this person, but this person's better. This person's good. I like that person's falsetto, but this person's better falsetto. And then, poof, when you deal with really great artists who are just in their element, you just forget that and you're just sort of transported somewhere else. So in a totally not bullshit way, it's 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 a non an impossible question to answer because they're just existing on their own planes. And that sort of goes for any art. Like it's not even like you have to be like a level of of completely brilliant to to achieve that. You know, we, we see people all the time who just sort of crest into this place where they're just doing their fucking thing. And that's yeah. that. And that's the goal. And that's really it's hard to hold on to that goal. And this is not meant to shit on anyone, but nobody gets that besides your fellow artist. You're not going to hear that from the industry. You're not going to hear that. What do you mean by that? I don't think that's something that is understandable unless you're unless you're making the work or deeply involved in the work, which is why the relationship between the artist and the people experiencing it, fans, right, is so important. That's that's the relationship. That's the heart. Yeah, and soul. yeah. And then that's every, right. everything else is and I don't even mean this in some like it's all bullshit, man, kind of way. But but it's just everything else isn't really hip to this idea that you're just trying to crystallize some some experience. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. Because it's like in some ways like rock and roll journalism or comedy journalism is really just trying to put into a chart or a graph or a, a visual or even just to words what's happening between the fans and the artists. And and also make a bigger statement about culture, which is, I mean, I mean, Check this out. At any given time, there has to be the best movie of the month and the worst movie of the month. Yeah. But what if there was no great movie that month? What if there was no yeah. bad movie that That's month? That's right. You know, it's That's like right. it's, it's sort of like every year we have to crown some new classics. Sure. But what if nobody made a classic? Or what if? Or what no, if there were, I think you're absolutely right. What if there were too many classics made? We 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 get that from 1971. Or what if? Or what if? Yeah. What if there was a bum decade? But was it, what if there was a bum decade? What if there was a decade that was so brilliant? That yeah. it's impossible for us to um, adequately write and and discuss the level of important work, and you know, so that the, the machine has to churn of you no know, new classic, new shit. This is bullshit. This yeah, is great. Yeah, yeah. And and yeah, yeah, sure. And sometimes they're right, sometimes they're wrong. <laughs> I don't really care, but I'm just saying that it's just further proof that the only thing that matters is this sort of lonesome conversation between the artist. And the person taking it in, which is a very solo experience, even if you're in a crowd. So that arrives me at a question about like the new album, which I haven't heard the full album. I've only heard three songs, which are incredible, which is when you approach a new album, I mean, this album is very different from the other Bleachers albums what is the goal of an album in terms of differentiation from the other albums? There's sort of the superficial and then the, you know, the superficial is kind of like, I used a lot of these kind of guitar sounds. I played a lot of 12 strings with this album. Maybe I'll get away from that, you know? Maybe I'll get away from these specific sounds that were sort of stamping the last record. So on my first record, I was really into these sort of like Depeche Mode sounds, and I I know I figured out how to get them and tweak them into something more personal. But you know, so you, you step away from certain things specifically. But then the much more important part is, um, you know, if you make a good album, then it's going to be a little 
documentary of how you're feeling about being in existence in that moment, and then therefore it can't be connected to anything else. Um, so you start with these, you start with these more basic concepts of like, you know, no, no acoustics on this record, no this kind of drum, no yeah. that, but, but it's all bullshit. It's all they're all just tools to like. I see it as like armor to like, you know, you're going into this like absurd battle with yourself, right? To make work, you're going to this like absurd battle, and you're you're like naked and frail and stupid and daring to suck and all this stuff. Yeah, and then you know you get these little things. You know, every time you write a good part, you know it's another piece of armor. If you find a good sound, more and more armor. You know, just like something that like guides you through this thing because it's just always a mountain, and you yeah. have these like it's it's so psychotic. I know you know this feeling. You know these moments. Oh my god! Like I'm gonna finish this album. No, you're not. Oh my god! I'm like this one's gonna be easy. No, it isn't. Oh my god! This one's so hard. No, no harder than that. It just it's just it's always this weird mountain, and you just have to kind of go through it, but it's hard to know what's different because I can sort of pinpoint it, but at the end of the day, I just like, I just want it to sound like how I feel. And that's something that uh, you just know when you hear it. And sometimes yeah. it's and sometimes it's actually not how you uh, thought you were going to be. You know what's funny is like, you know, I think that that's 100% true of all of my work. Is, is yeah, like I think look- of your shows, like there's a, there's, a, there's a trajectory that I imagine you would imagine this artist would grow into. And then there's the reality of how the fuck you feel. Like yeah. I, I like from knowing you for X amount of years, I never thought you would write a show where the crux of it was going to be about fatherhood, marriage, and love. That's truly yeah. the opposite artist I thought you were going to turn into. And by the way, I lo- <laughs> <laughs> and I completely love it. But but it's and I and I'm not putting words in your mouth. But and your and your song is at the end of it. By the way, I want to get better. Is the is the credit song in the end of the Broadway show? It's it, honors. My it's my it's my <laughs> only time I've ever had an, uh, any any inch of me on Broadway, <laughs> but <laughs> but it's like, you know, your earlier work was not cynical at all, but you were just sort of like skating on the sides of things, making like these observations and kind of like it was, you know, like poking at things a little bit, right? Kind of like yeah. w- what I would consider Jewish or Italian work. <laughs> like, um, yeah, taking stabs at an yeah, idea. Like, What's this? Yeah, yeah. What's this? You know, like, yeah, yeah. you know, like just classic Birbiglia stuff. Just like, I went to... Uh, <laughs> You know, get new shoes, and they were like, "You can't get shoes. You're an idiot." Just like you know, just like bizarre shit. And and the fact that you were forced because your art is at the whim of telling the story of your life, you were forced to make work about being in a marriage. Which brings me to which brings me to joke question number four. So you've worked with Bruce Springsteen and Taylor. Swift. Wait, what was number three? Oh, it was how do you describe the journey of your hair? Oh, okay. We'll go to number four. Great. Uh, you do come on. You must just have an answer. Like, this, yeah, you this, must have an answer for that. Wow, man, Mike. So, the journey of my hair. It's it's a stress. You know what? The journey of my hair is this. You can't fucking win them all. And if you win them all, you're not relatable. And then, I like your hair. I like your hair. And then I can't fuck you it. and your work. I can't believe it. I can't. I can't believe you took offense to that. I don't take offense to it. I'm just sort of dining out on the idea that no one's listening to my music necessarily because they want my hair. That's so funny. Whenever people criticize... Which Chris Isaac can't say. (laughs) Which Mike Ness can't say. Which Roy Orbison couldn't say. You know what's so funny? Joni Mitchell can't say that. You know what's so funny? All the stones. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) You know what's so funny about that is whenever people criticize my appearance, uh, and I'm not criticizing your appearance, that you're just being weird. Mm. Um... Whenever people criticize my appearance, I say that exact thing, which is, no one's here 
for the abs. I that is exactly how I feel. Whenever someone criticizes my appearance or says I look like Rick Moranis or tweets some meme at me about Rick Moranis, I like it's it's they are further ingraining this concept in my head that everyone's here for the real thing, and I love that. On the flip side, when it also does make me feel bad when people um, say that they fuck me and they think it's like a weird thought they're having. Yeah, I, I, if I if I log on to Twitter, I'll see a lot of that. Like, 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 kind of would uh, you know fuck this dude? Question mark. <laughs> LOL. <laughs> So my daughter, Una, who, who, who you know, and is, is five years old, uh, she's a big fan as well. And uh, she had a question for when I interview you today. So do you have any questions for Jack today when I interview him? Because you've heard a lot of his music. He does Bleachers, there's his band, and then the Taylor Swift um, album. He worked on that too. Mm. I know. Yeah, I know you love that. Do you have any questions for him about music and making music? And he does a song, I Want to Get Better, that plays at the end of the new one. Remember when I was at the theater? And at the end, it was, I want to get better. I want to get better. And then there's a part where it goes, there will be a Jesus in your womb. It's actually a pretty big honor. It's more, more like, like an Oscar, Oscar than, than an Emmy. Yeah. yeah. I know that one. Yeah, that was Jack. Does he do every song that there is? <laughs> That's a good question. Do I do every song that there is? And that there is. Yeah. So I'm in my apartment right now. In the back of it, I have a studio in here. And in here, the answer is yes. <laughs> and the reason is... Because I think writing specifically albums and creating a body of work is really about sort of it living in its own universe. Mm. And then, you know, it's in, and it's sort of bouncing around in conversation. But I think, I think the question that Una is really asking is, um, am I, do I feel like I'm part of something or am I kind of off here on an island? Uh, and I only feel like I'm a part of something when I'm on tour. Wow. Yeah. That's fascinating. And I, sorry, I'm a part of something on tour, but I'm a part, but I really feel a part of something when I play a festival on tour. And I always think it's so funny when people are like, ah, oh, festivals suck. You don't get a sound check. And it's like, guys, like, we're these like weird planets volleying around. And then like three times a year, we all get to like run into each other and be like, hey, yeah. hey, <laughs> you know, like you're, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh my God. It's like, it's like fucking Waterworld. It's insane that how much we have in common and we never see each other. No, I love festivals, and that's of course where we met. Yeah, uh, but I feel like when I one of the interesting things in the last few years is you and I have uh, just made a few little songs and things, and I've come to your studio. And when you're mm -hmm. in the studio, it's a different you. It's almost like you're in a like a zombie state when you're working. Interesting, but it's I've very nice. It's very nice. But it's extreme. You know, it reminds me of like you remind me of like a, a movie director when you're making huh. music. 
Like yeah. an asshole? <laughs> no, no, just like you have a vision. Well, I just, I feel, um, that's, that's the funny thing about collaboration is to have, I, I have this like North Star theory, right? Where it's like, it works when the people in the room are looking at the same thing, right? And yeah. It's, and it's horrible when they're not. And, and everyone knows the feeling. It's almost like uh, being a kid with like parents or yeah. something. You're like, you're like, if we're all looking at the same thing, we can do so much. We can agree, yeah. and there like won't be a tangent. But if we're looking at different things, it's like the whole journey is going to be just a disaster until we explode. But I think that's the crux of collaboration: is like looking at something really far away, and then everyone's just like inching towards it. So I like that yeah. feeling when when everyone's looking at the same thing. Yes. No, and that's why I think you're like a director, but. Um, mm. I want to point out that when I was listening to music with my daughter and then coming up with questions to ask you, it, it's the most joy. It really, <laughs> it's the cliche from the show. It's the most joy. It's the most joy. But then it, sometimes it is. You, you've, you've, you've made me think of something while you said that. Do you feel like you ever, through your work, almost like burn down vers- different things in your life so you cannot really, like, so for example, marriage and fatherhood, do you feel like you're just like, you just like did it all and now you have to go somewhere else because your work is so focused on specific things? Because I occasionally well, feel this way about certain things in my life. It's like, do you feel that? Like you have to- No, I think that that's a great question. And I think it'll segue into the material I pitched you today Okay, that we'll, we'll try to build on, which is basically that- my new show is all about death, and it's because I've gotten married, which I never thought I was going to do. Mm-hmm. I've had a child, which I never thought I was going to do, and I've hit middle age, which, again, never thought I was going to do. I thought I'd die young. Mm-hmm. I just did. You did? You know? Yeah, I just did. You really and did? And so, yeah, for sure. Like, not I in mean, like a sexy way. You were like, I'm going to die young. No, I just, I mean, I jumped through a second-story window when I was 25. I mean, Oh, you mean like literally, y- y- yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, I, I think when you have that, I had cancer when I was 19, I jumped through a window at 25. Like, when, when, when those types of circumstances occur in your teens and 20s, you're just kind of like, well, forget about it. I mean, I'm not going to live to 40. Mm. And so at, you know, at age 42 now, I'm writing this show, and it's all about death, and... And, you know, someone, and it's similar to that question I was asking you about albums. Like, why do you write an album the way you do and about the things that you do? And I think it's because you write about all that you can think about all the time. That's the best album you can write. I think you're right. And I think at the beginning of a process, you're always like thinking about the places that you want to focus and it just sort of unravels and you just end up you know, making the best patchwork of where you're at in a moment. Yeah. Because I have so, I always have this like grand idea. Like I'm like, this one's going to be about like this little like cul-de-sac of my life. And then it just sort of wonderfully devolves into a picture of where the fuck I'm at, period. This is an interesting thing that Ira brought up because I I did the second episode with Ira where I tell a story about having cancer when I was 19 and and he gives me notes on it. Second episode with Ira, I re, I re, I do a I do a page 1 rewrite of the same story. He gives me notes on that. Okay. And I talk about this experience of finding out I have cancer and crying with my parents in in my parents' kitchen basically. And he said he said basically I understand that you're crying. And I understand that there are indicators of how you feel. 
but how did you really feel? Like all of these things are on the outside and what's it like on the inside? And and that's when I came up with this detail about, that I did not know, I did not have in my memory bank or I didn't have as a top of mind memory, which is sitting in my, my parents' house in, the, in my bedroom there alone and I didn't call anybody. And I'm someone who works through things by talking about them on the phone or in person, whatever it is. And I, and I was speechless. And I say, and, and the line is, is that cancer literally took my breath away. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything like that in your life where you're trying to express through your music what something feels like? And you keep writing drafts of it when you're on the outside, but then you make a breakthrough to get on the inside. Yeah, well, the, that's the huge line between telling a story versus telling someone how something feels. Um, and it's crazy because I think, with, especially with huge traumas, it's so implied that we know how it feels that sometimes yeah. we don't know how it feels. You know, so... If I, it, you know, I I really, really know what it feels like to wake up in the morning and to kind of look out my window and, you know, f- f- have these like floods of thoughts before I get up because it's not a time that is obvious I should know how it feels. So I'm actually really feeling it. But when I think about like great traumas, people I know who have died and all the things around it that are that are really incredibly traumatic – it's almost like there's this bullshit PR spin that you know how it feels, but you're but you're a baby and you don't know how it feels. Right. Um, I think that's why hearing that and the way Ira put that really stops me dead in my tracks. Um, I think it's a brilliant way of asking someone something. And I also think it's the problem with huge life moments is I've learned this the more I've worked through some grief, which is because something is so implied – you're, you might only be getting a real surface piece of it. And you might also be sweeping a lot of things under that rug. So, for example, I lost my sister when I was 18. And for all my 20s, I was like, well, I'm fucked up because this happened. Right. And some of that's true. It wasn't a good thing. It fucked me up. Yeah. But I also was fucked up for a lot of reasons. There was a lot yeah. of generational trauma. There was a lot of chemical stuff going on. There was drugs I was using. There was a million other things. But everything that happened got swept under that Huge traumatic rug. And you probably had yeah. that too because you had cancer. That's a big yeah, deal. sure. And when sure. you have cancer and and three years later you're having a panic attack, it's probably because you had cancer. Or <sighs> this goes yeah. wrong, it's probably because you had cancer. Yeah. Or you're not going to release tips because you had cancer. Cancer, cancer, cancer. Death, death, death. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But the truth is it's robbing you of the experience, especially at the age that we were both at, these really important formative years in the early 20s. I've learned that I was really, I robbed myself. It's not my fault, but I robbed myself of the experience of learning all the ways that I was incorrectly wired because everything was about death. And yeah. it isn't. It's not. Um, and I think that's what's amazing about Iris' question is it, that, that question forces you into it and forces you to actually explain why you're an expert on something that you think you're an expert on, but you actually might not be an expert on. Because living through something doesn't make you an expert. It makes you a survivor of something. But to be able to sit and think with it later is huge. Well, it's interesting because I was you should say that. Is that for comedy? <laughs> yeah, that Sorry. this is good comedy. This is good comedy content. We're gonna put this on uh 
on hisabazoo.com. <laughs> Maybe rascals will have us do this live. <laughs> I thought it would be more um, Italian with the grief. <laughs> um, no, I think I think people want to hear about this actually. Because, yeah, yeah. I mean, this that is, was my that was my shadow yelling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I the, mean, that, like, that's I, a I, huge I, realization I've had in my life is these things I've hinged my life and my work on. They were just one thing, and no matter how yeah. huge they were, they were still one thing. And I'm jealous of my friends, not because they didn't experience a specific trauma, but because at a certain time in life they were a little bit more loose, a little more trauma free, just for a certain stretch. And we're able to develop different buckets of why they were fucked up, not just this one. Oh, I know someone who died. There was a moment that stopped me in my tracks one day when I was talking casually on the phone to your sister, Rachel, where she said, and I'll ask her, if I use this audio, I'll ask her if it's okay to use it. But we were having like a frank, candid conversation about life and death and and serious matters. And she said, if Jack died, I would kill myself. And... And and it just stopped me. It stopped me in my tracks for the same exact reason, which is to say that she's not. And of course, I said, you know, please don't. <laughs> and I, that's, you know, like we, you know, you should know that no, you know, that would make it worse for all these, you know, all of the people who love you. But at the same time, I actually felt like I understood Rachel really well in that moment in relationship to you both lost your sister and how close you and Rachel are partly because of that. And and that was like a, a, cl- a clarifying moment for like, I understand how Rachel feels. Mm. It's, it's sort of this feeling because I relate to it and it's not, a, it's, not a, it's not a morbid or bad thing. It's more just sort of like, okay, we can carry on like this, but, but no more. If, you know, any more, and then and then just shut the thing down, kind of like you know, a great, <sighs> a great, yeah. great band or something. You know, you imagine like an important member dying. You're just like, don't go on. You know, just just get out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but um, it would make things worse. Yeah. And I think this is interesting. I think it's an interesting question about what you think you can and can't live without. Sure. Uh, yeah. Because it constantly gets redefined. You know, my my grandfather. Uh, when he was dying, we were watching videos of him younger. He was a rabbi giving sermons, which was very strange. And I remember he was dying and we were watching a video with him. So he was talking to himself at a younger age and he was saying that a human being is like a gas tank where when you hit empty, there's this secret 20 miles and you don't know you have it until you hit empty. So everyone's like, oh, if that happened, I'd be done. And then you get there and you actually have 20 more miles to get to the wow. to the gas station. It was really interesting because he was dying. So it was sort of like bizarre watching it happen. But I, it's so true. You think about, you know, we all we all say, oh, I, c- I could never do that. I could never live through that. And then you get there and you have a, a little bit more than, than you think. So the joke version of that would be, uh, so my grandfather says this thing, you always have 20 more miles. And then uh, a few days later, he died. And I thought, I think it was uh, more like two. (laughs) This is a good stretch, Mike. I say something really serious and you do the joke version. Have you ever got yourself in big trouble? 
like someone telling you something serious and you do the joke version of your actually because I love it. But if you've ever like has your joke mind ever besides the Gotham Awards, <laughs> right? From Thank God for Jokes, the story. Um, from Thank God for Jokes with David O. Russell, yeah. Like if you um, and, and there was the other one, wasn't there like a benefit you did and you said something horrible about someone there? A football player, maybe? Gosh. What am I thinking of? A golf tournament? Oh, so, oh yeah, there's a charity golf tournament for like a, a cancer charity. Yeah, and, you made uh, a cancer joke. And I made a cancer joke, which I thought was going to be uh, therapeutic and helpful, talking mm. about my own experience, but it it didn't quite land and it seemed like it just made it worse. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I, I'm in that, I feel like I'm in that space. I think always comedy is in danger of that space, which is why I always find it odd when people go like, like, this comedian crossed the line. And I'm like, right, because the the job of the comedian is to flirt with the line. Yeah. So the idea that they cross, I mean, look, I'm not defending people who cross a line, but it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, occupational hazard. Well, yeah, it's, I mean, George Carlin has this quote, which I'm sure you've heard, but I think about it with music all the time. He says, I get out on the stage and I draw a line and they make it really clear. The audience is on one side and I'm on the other. And I yeah. do, he, you know, he, I'm paraphrasing, but he does that by, you know, he says something that's so out there that they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa like he, that guy, like we would never say that. We're, we're pure. He's over there. He's over there. And then he said, I spend the whole show slowly guiding them to the other side. And by the end, without them realizing it happened, they've crossed the line with me. Yeah. That's and that nice. is the fucking nice. crux of making anything. If, if you, that's me. Yeah. That's music too. That's everything. If, if you make something that is right on the you know on the right side of the line with the person then what the fuck are you doing yeah and it doesn't it's got nothing to do with being offensive or not offensive it's just uh, even on an emotional level it's like you want people to cross lines like keep crossing lines keep crossing lines you know the the ones that help us grow not the ones that destroy people but like yeah i always i always i always hate when that term i don't like that term so and so crossed the line because it's a really bad appropriation of what's also a really important thing in life we want to be continuously crossing lines just not the horrible ones well, it's also this thing of we all claim to desire provocative art until it provokes us. Hmm. And then we're like, hey, what the fuck? Why'd you provoke me? Hmm. So Sorry, I'm drinking and taking that in. <laughs> um, all right, so here's some new material. Um, so I grew up next to a cemetery, and this is just like a, this is a free write I was doing about about – like my relationship with death and, and death themes. I grew up next to a cemetery and my friend Leslie and I would play, we play in the cemetery like it was a park and it really hammered home the idea that death is around us at all times and that gravestones make great soccer goals. <laughs> like anything past the crying angels is out of bounds. <laughs> and like, <laughs> if it hits Donald Wilson, it is not a goal. It has to go between Donald Wilson and Whitney Bonaducci. <laughs> Whitney Bonaducci. <laughs> and I remember, because, you know, I, I remember walking home from school uh, through the cemetery because it was a shortcut between St. Mary's School and my house. And what always stuck out were these big, grand mausoleums, you know, these, like, stone mausoleums. 
uh, where some people had like a little shed, like a little stone shed. Yeah, it's absurd. For their corpse, which is which is something we don't talk about enough culturally. Like we talk about the midlife crisis, but we don't talk about the afterlife <laughs> crisis. <laughs> like that's that's top notch. The afterlife crisis. Like that guy's got a nice car. I gotta get a nice car. That guy's got an in-ground pool. I gotta get an in-ground pool. That guy's got a. Uh, a mausoleum. <laughs> I'm gonna get a mausoleum. You know, like what? Like not one, not once did any of these people say, "Wait a minute, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to fully enjoy this." <laughs> They're just like, "Randy has one. I'm gonna get one." <laughs> Dead Randy thinks he's better than me. Not a chance. <laughs> These people are keeping up with the Dead Joneses. Ah, he wrote it there. The Dead Joneses. <laughs> that there's there's more in here, Mike. Like going further down the line of just like there's how it, it is so dumb that, that any gravestone is different than any other gravestone. It's absurd. <laughs> it's it absurd. is so dumb. It is such an embarrassment. It's completely. So so then how I might make this a story, which is like me and Leslie were in the cemetery one day and we saw a woman come up and put flowers down next to a gravestone and start crying and we slinked away and we we knew enough to leave, but we couldn't quite grasp what had taken place. Like, we couldn't fully <laughs> grasp what had taken place. I mean, it's not even a joke as much as it's sort of like it's this funny idea to me. of like, I know, but it's like, I, I mean, it is funny, but it's sort of like this thing where when you're a kid, when you, if I ever get a guess, I'd say I was eight years old, eight, nine years old. It's like you, you see people grieving and it doesn't even quite, you get the idea that the husband's dead, but that's kind of it. Well, it's, there's so much more comedy then because it's not, you know, when you get older, you see someone grieving and it like pings your grief. And when yes. you're a kid, you're just like, oh, it looks stupid crying. Like, you're just like, you're, yes, like, that's right. Everything is so much more funny. You're like, oh, you're, you, like, you suck. Like, it's like everything, <laughs> you're like, you get older and everything pings everything. You like see like yes. a piece of wood and you're like, my old home, <laughs> you know, or you're like, yes. You know, wow. And, and Why so, do you think that is? Just because we're such just like herbs. We're just so like, we're so sentimental, even when we. What's wish- a herb? What's a herb? A herb is just like a herb, like you know, like a herb is like someone who, like, you know, like, you know, it's like a herb, like someone who like grabs like a, a felt material and like closes their eyes and like breathes in deeply and like <laughs> thinks of Donald Wilson. You know, it's like like you can be herby about anything. It's like okay. you can be herby about music. You can be herby. Herb is like anything, like, like um. You know, like Steve Mnuchin's a herb, but also like so is like someone who's like taking a red carpet too seriously. It's like it's like an all oh, like interesting. It's like fucking herbs. Like just like Is fucking, that your word? I don't know if it's mine. I say it a lot. Just like dorks. Just like in, in, in the in the real sense, like not someone who wears a pocket protector, like in the real sense, like the rewriting that in, in Back to the Future, Biff was the herb. I think embalming people feels a little misguided. Mm. The idea is to forestall decomposition. 
But is that really our goal? We all just want one last facial after we're dead? Like, they never pull out those corpses from the ground during a murder investigation and go, this guy's looking good. It's almost like he's alive. His brains are drained through his nose, but man, does that skin glow. Mike, where did all this death material come from? And please say that you saved it for me. I did save it for you! This means so much to me. I feel so I seen. I saved it for you. I did it. I built this whole episode for you. I feel like you're so incredibly seen. I built it. I built it for you because uh, because you wrote the music for the show and you wrote the you're the, you people should know you're the soundtrack of the show. Uh, this, this death material is excellent. It's it's really interesting thanks, because man. the problem you're gonna run into, which I personally love, is you're gonna ping some people. I actually think this death material could work really well for a younger crowd, which I don't Oh, think. so you think it's going to cross a line for people? I don't think it's going to cross a line. I don't think people... It's interesting. Death is really interesting because it's everyone's. You know, cancer is some people's, you know. So it's like I, I understand, like, when, like, you do the cancer stuff, people are like, oh, you crossed the line. Like, I, I, I... The only time someone told me to cross the line, I did, like, a Jewish joke at this thing, and someone was like, you crossed the line. And I was like, I don't know what you heard. But um, you... <laughs> you, death is everyone. So no one is ever going to say like you crossed a line. I know a dead person, but I do think that it's like just forever. Death is forever. This thing that's just like people don't want to fucking cert- a certain a certain percentage of people. I have it all. If so, I talk about it on stage or or in a thing or if I yeah. do like meet and greets and I talk about it, it's like there are some people. You know. Okay. Sorry. Sorry to go around this a little bit. My friend just lost his mother. And he said this thing that, on on theme, stopped me in my tracks. He said, there's this thing that happens that we all have to deal with, but nobody's talking about it. Yeah. And I was like, you're right. And he was like, and when you lose someone or you experience death, you go through a period of time where you're just like, why the fuck isn't everyone talking about this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. I have a little bit more on embalming. <laughs> Part of the reason for embalming <laughs> is so we can all see our friend one last time at the funeral. I have a solution for that. Uh, memories. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to be using memories for the rest of time anyway. So why don't we get a little practice in at the funeral? I mean, we're all here. <laughs> and don't forget photos. The iPhone funeral takes such high-quality pics. Have you used the recently dead filter? <laughs> it takes years off your life, literally. <laughs> all right, so that's that. That's embalming. The one thing I'll say, just to button up your embalming Muslim grave bit, it is fucking barbaric that we do anything but just like blast ourselves into a flame into space it's crazy it's completely i I, I don't even think just space i mean we're natural fertilizers yeah like it's just crazy i mean like if you bought a house and you found and you and you one day were like digging in the backyard and you found like a couple dead bodies like it wouldn't that like poison your water or wouldn't that like poison your crops like it's like like burn it up like it's just like graveyards are disgusting i can't i'm gonna be on record right i'm I'm going to be on record right here, right now. I've never said this before. If I die, uh, do the most ecologically sound version of cremating me. Uh, put me in the, put me wherever I'm, my, 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 you know, my body is, is needed or helpful in mm. the ecosystem. Um, 
oh, but first, make sure I'm dead because I don't <laughs> want that to happen. You know, w- w- one thing on that really quickly. Yeah. You, know, you know what bothers me about making sure someone's dead? People are what? always like, like if you watch like behind the music, like Nikki Six is always like, and then I died. <laughs> and then I came back to life. And it drives me crazy because it's like, well, you didn't because the definition of di- the definition of dying is not that your heart stops. Yes. The definition of dying is that you die. The human body, as we see every day, is capable of its heart stopping yes. and then reviving. And all these fucking rock stars would be like, and then I fucking died. And then yeah. poof. It's like you actually didn't die. Right. <laughs> That's a really good point. Maybe I'll use that, actually. Um, I want to point out that the jokes that people are listening to uh, in this episode are part of a larger show that's a dramatic, you know, dramatic mm-hmm. and personal and, and funny story uh, about life and death and that the, the, the joke part is really just to lubricate a, a much larger topic. Yeah. And also, it, well, the, I think the jokes, and I think this is almost at the heart of what you do, um, the the jokes are they're a sneak attack. A sneak attack. It's, yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's uh. They create a sneak attack. Yeah. It's, it's look it's look over here while you're getting you know while the doctor's putting the shot in your arm and you don't even know what happened and then you say tell me when it's going in they say yeah it already happened that's how I see your work is sort of like oh well you know we we know Berbiglia you know he's funny but we know that there, this is like a serious show also about X Y and Z tell me when it's uh you know when you're going to inject the part about you know having kids or whatever it is let us yeah, know sure. and, then, and then you're like well it actually already happened and it was 20 minutes ago and now yeah hence the george carlin thing now you've already crossed the line with me um that's that's how i always feel when i've seen any of your your and that's work. how i feel that's how i feel about in in the, the i'd say the musical analogy is melodies you know like i feel like your like the like the, in your bleachers album or your album with taylor or like uh uh like it's the melody, I think, that is would be the joke equivalent. It's yeah, the, the melody it's the is part, like the, it's the part you can sing. It's the part you can sing along to and have fun with. It's the, that's like the yeah, like the the you know the, the sugar around the pill kind of vibe, where it's like uh, yeah, um, you know, you're there uh, and there's this thing that is comforting you. It's almost like a. It's almost like an anesthetic or something, where where it's like this this thing is allowing you to be here to to work something out, you know, that you would not have come to work out otherwise. Yeah. And you yeah. never would. And you never would. You know, like, that's like... And also, it wouldn't be healthy to. It wouldn't be, you know, to sit around and talk about death is a very different experience than to sit around and joke about death. Yeah. Because to sit around and talk about death, kind of like what we were talking about before, how you have to brush all these things under this seriousness rug. You know, it's like, there's such a seriousness to it that it almost like... I mean... I'll never forget uh, when when we lost our sister. Literally on the ride to the from the funeral to the cemetery, we were making jokes. Yeah, I'll never forget that. I mean, like, it's, and I don't mean this in like a Herbie way, but like humor is so baked into all these experiences. And when you try to get serious, it almost like just becomes funnier. It's like all the jokes you're making, like, it, like the whole world around it is bizarre and hilarious. Yeah, truly. And and the most bizarre, hilarious thing is um, the fact that when it's all done, we're expected to just like have lunch. <laughs> yes, it's exactly. insane. It would be like is like like we're gonna do the ropes course, and then we're gonna like fling you from one end to another. And then when you get there, you just read. You just read as yeah. soon as you get there. It's like we're all like spinning. Um, 
Okay. So I have another, I have a few more jokes. Please hit me. Okay. Um, Egyptians got buried in pyramids with their pets and their servants. They say you can't take it with you, but the Egyptians tried. Uh, the modern, the modern equivalent would be if you were a lawyer and you were you were like, I'd like to be buried with my paralegal Susan and my parakeet walnuts, and everyone's like, Susan's alive. <laughs> And the way <laughs> this speaks to something you were saying earlier, the way we treat our dead is a very half-baked plan. Like it's held up to no scrutiny whatsoever. People who are embalmed do not look good. <laughs> I know, like, I'm sorry. I know this isn't the time, but to me, he looks puffy. <laughs> Well, hold on. You're touching on something really great here, which is that because death is so serious, there's no um, oversight in the industry. No one's like, the coffin wasn't, you know, $9,000 for some plywood. Of course, of course. You know, it's like no one is, is, is. There's no oversight. Yeah. Um, Secretly, the funniest part of that joke to me was, um, but the Egyptians did. (laughs) They did. They actually did. Yeah. They did. Um. It's not like our final image of the person ends up being a positive one. It almost reminds us of the negative aspects of the person. It's like, he always had this empty look in his eye. And he did have a double chin. Not that I'm judging it. Uh, yeah, the funeral is absurd. The funeral is insane. It's like, it's like you have the trauma and, and sadness of losing someone. And then it's almost like before you can even deal with the grief, you have to get over the trauma of the literal funeral. Yes, that's right. Um, 450 people a year die falling out of bed, and that seems like an awful way to go. You're lying there thinking, this is nice, but I should really get up and start my day. I mean, what's the worst thing that could happen? 150 people per year are killed by coconuts falling on their heads, uh... My only question is, do you eat the coconut? <laughs> I mean, it is ripe. And, and you're ripe. You and the coconut are both ripe. I mean, you could eat both of you, but you could definitely eat the coconut. And at the eulogy, you could be like, Nancy would have wanted us to eat the coconut. <laughs> that's why we loved her, and that's why we also love the coconut. We're going to hand out pieces of the coconut right now <laughs> because, because it just feels right. Um, this is what I did. In the, the, the coconut's the, ripe. The, okay, so the coconut one feels like a thumbs up. This is huge. Huge. Here's my last one. And thank, by the way, thanks for working on these with me because it's a huge help. Like, um, I can't even tell you how huge of a help it is. I've I, I will I will say that the coconut joke is an all timer. Oh, that's interesting. An all timer because the idea you did a masterful thing in there, which is which I think is a, a deeper metaphor about your entire death show is someone dies, and then <laughs> yes, and then right. within two seconds we are more <laughs> attached to the coconut. Oh, that's interesting. And we're completely interested in the coconut. And you also pointed something out, which is true, which I never considered, which is that it fell because it was ripe. It was ripe. And it there's like a, a, an incredibly amazing metaphor there, which is that 
150 or 450, whatever, I think what you're injecting into people is that all these people have to die every year simply because of the fucking circle of life of coconuts yeah. being ripe. Yeah. Wow. It's That's really so helpful. It's it's a, it's a huge bit. You know, by the way, and that that actually brings me full circle before I tell you my last joke to our friendship. Even though I'm not a musician and you're not a comedian, I actually think that one of the the great things that I value so much and I appreciate about our friendship so much is that you're so encouraging of what I'm doing as I'm doing it, and I feel like I I try to do that in return. I appreciate that, and that's like how I feel when I'm producing things, which is like nobody feels seen while they're making something. And if you can see something that someone's making, then there's a really good chance like that the idea won't get thrown out and could really grow. That's like, that's everything in this. Before we finish, Jack, I just want to just get this uh, a vocal record of you just saying that, that we have the right to use this podcast and your name and likeness and perpetuity in any uh, planet, uh, found uh, in the future, any universe, any time zone. If you could just say that quickly. This was all off go the any further. What's that? This was all off the record. <laughs> this is all off the record. That's the flip. That's the flip. Now I get to sue you. Oh, I'm going to sue you first. That's the flip. Now I get to sue you. By the and way. I'm going <laughs> to sue you right back. Maybe we'll be at a point where we're meeting at the diner. We'll both have a, a decent amount of work on our faces done. We'll think that we look good. We look insane. And we'll have a couple lawsuits cooking. And we'll just be having the same conversations um, about trying to make work. That would be great. That would be a great <sighs> life. The final thing we do on the show is working it out for our cause. And it's um, and is there, is there a nonprofit? And I'm, I feel like... I mean, I I don't want to be presumptuous, but I feel like with all the work that you do for the Ally Coalition, I feel like, and, and I've done your benefit over the years for the Ally Coalition a lot of times, I feel like we should we should give it to that organization. Uh, yeah, I would love to. I appreciate that. And for anyone who doesn't know, it's an organization that gives money directly towards homeless LGBTQ youth shelters, which are... Um, Huge issue in the country, has been for a long time, a really underserved one, and all of our money goes to really specific needs like a fridge or a bed or toiletries. So uh, it's a, a completely uh, direct way to get money there. It's an extraordinary organization. Uh, a completely disproportionate amount of youth in shelters are members of the LGBTQ plus community. And that's one of the things I've learned from doing your benefit over the years is is understanding that aspect of it. And so it's such a worthy cause. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna donate to them today. Thank uh, you, Mike. And the, and the and link thank will you be for in the show notes. The show. Of course, of course. And uh, I made the joke the other day um, that um, my favorite memory of 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 the show was when I you were doing it at town hall. And I had my Broadway show, and I had to jog down to try to make it for my spot. And by the time I got there, I literally sprinted down Sixth Avenue. By the time I got there, Taylor Swift was on stage. And Can I really quickly say that you were very sweaty and you looked a little disheveled? Yeah, I looked like hell. I mean, yeah. I don't even I don't usually look great. And me after jogging for twenty minutes is not ideal. And 
And I said, Jack, I'm so sorry. I missed my spot. And you said, I'll put you on right after Taylor. And I said, you fool. I will not be on this show. And I did not perform on that show. And that's her power. Because no one, because no one follows, no she's one can the, follow she's, Taylor. She's the only person who's kept Birbiglia off that stage. <laughs> that, would, that show has been incredible. And uh, I can't wait to do it in uh, 21. We're going to be back with a fucking vengeance. Working it out, cause it's not done. Working it out, cause there's no one. Wow, that was another episode of Working It Out with Jack Antonoff. Uh, you gotta follow uh, Jack Antonoff on Instagram. I would say that's his platform of choice. Uh, he is incredible. I mean, everything he does, I'm completely impressed by. There's new music out this week from his band Bleachers. You should follow Bleachers as well. Uh, and uh, I'm just thrilled to, to, for his new album and, and everything that he that he has in store. That he's a maniac. He's a maniac of music. Um, and I'm so grateful for the stuff that he and I have done together and to just be a fan of his work. Uh, thank you for listening to our show today. Our producers are myself, along with Peter Salamone and Joseph Berbiglia, consulting producer Seth Barish, sound mix by Kate Belinsky, associate producer Mabel Lewis. Special thanks to my consigliere, Mike Berkowitz, as well as Marissa Hurwitz and Josh Upfall. Special thanks to, <laughs> Special thanks to Jack Antonoff again and Bleachers uh, for their music, which is, of course, running through this entire episode and every episode of Working It Out. As always, a very special thanks to my wife, the poet J-Hope Stein. Our book, The New One, is at your local bookstore. We're coming up on a year from the release of The New One. And as always, a special thanks to our daughter, Una, who had a question today, who was a very significant question that had a really uh, thoughtful answer from Jack Antonoff that he sculpted a little bit, but it was a thoughtful answer. She also created the Radio Fort for this show. Thanks most of all to you who are listening. Uh, If you like it, give it some stars, write a little user review, and uh, as always, tell your friends. Maybe even tell your enemies. We're working it out. See you next time, everybody.